This is a podcast about Jeopardy. Hello and welcome to Potent Potables, your weekly Jeopardy podcast where two former competitors bring you recaps and analysis of the week's Jeopardy episodes, a deep dive into a topic inspired by one of those episodes, and a quiz. I'm Emily. And I'm Kyle. And this is the week of November 22nd, 2021. Lots of 20s there. Mm-hmm. This is uh, another week with Ken Jennings hosting, and we are in the midst of Amy Schneider's run, which we have started one week this season not in the midst of a run, so mm-hmm. I guess we just got to get used to it at this point. And on Monday, we have the contestants Mac Hayden, a copywriter from Irvine, California, Heidi Stum, a freelancer from Grand Rapids, Michigan, and Amy Schneider, an engineering manager from Oakland, California, whose three-day cash winnings total $110,200. We get the Jeopardy round categories mixtape, which English monarch, chew on this, Beatles movies and docs, reading the detectives, and get the H out of here. Pretty sure I came home from my kids are off of school outing today to find the rest of my family watching one of those Beatles movies and docs today, I think. Right? Oh, was it um Get Back? Yes. That's a that's very recent. Yeah. Yeah. It looked like they were enjoying it, although they were they were too far in for me to really jump in at that point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's hard to know what's going on. Yep. In a documentary. <laughs> Okay, all right, fine. I just didn't want to. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. (laughs) They did great on the English Monarchs category. Nice. I'm feeling proud of of myself. The the contestants did well as as well. Yes, especially especially Mac. Yes. Got got, got a good amount of it. In this round, we found the first Daily Double in that English Monarch 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 category at the $600 level and Amy found this one she was at 5400 uh with Mac at 2800 Heidi's at 0 at this point she wagers 2400 and gets the clue ruled at the start of the English reformation and she gets that one correct with Henry VIII ruled at the start of is an interesting way of phrasing that given that he also like precipitated the start of right yeah like caused yeah like initiated is a is another way of putting it yeah uh-huh. it, it, that that wording threw me off because i was like did it do we think it started before henry the eighth like because there were people i guess who might have wanted to be protestant before that yeah so does it does it count before henry the eighth but no no they were just looking for henry the eighth yep so at the end of the jeopardy round Amy's taken a solid lead with 11,600. Mac is behind at 5,200. Heidi's made it out of the red and is at 400. And we have the double jeopardy categories, historical fiction. You got a lot of Irv, pal. That's I-R-V. TV comedy sketches. Your destination awaits. Venus. And yeah, baby, she's got it. Is there a joke I'm missing here? Uh, it, that's from a song. Okay. Yeah, baby, she's got it. And, and Venus. Is, but it is Venus, then Venus is... Yeah. Okay, all right. Part of it, yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to sing the whole thing because it's not... Uh, the people love it when you sing. Not my voice type. I'll all just, right. 
I'm just gonna get it out of the way right now. Emily still haven't. I still haven't watched Shakespeare in Love, so historical fiction at the $2,000 level. A tip for the hangman tells of this aspiring playwright recruited from Cambridge to spy for Queen Elizabeth I. Mac took the took the big swing and a miss on who is Shakespeare, but Amy picked it up with who is Marlowe. Every time we mention Kit Marlowe, which comes up quite a bit, Emily tells me I should watch Shakespeare in Love. Yep. Still haven't watched it. I'll get around to it. Or I won't. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> It is shocking to me how many Jeopardy questions. I'm like, oh, I learned that from Shakespeare in Love. I mean, you learn things where you learn things, yep, right? That's, that's what true. Slumdog Millionaire taught us. Yes, yes, indeed. <laughs> it Any wouldn't be nearly found. as entertaining a movie if it was just him fa- flashing back <laughs> to watching Shakespeare in Love over and over and over again. Uh, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> let's give it a shot first. Yeah. Because then I could watch uh, Slumdog Millionaire and not have to watch Shakespeare in Love. There we I'd go. Because I basically see both. Mm-hmm. There we go. Yeah. I feel like the Jeopardy writers heard me saying that I was not good at TV sketch comedy. And we're like, well, let's oh, make a they... whole category <laughs> just yes. for Emily. Several weeks before she even said. That she isn't good at it. Yeah. yeah. How'd you do on it, though? Oh, Did you terribly. Do okay? No. Oh. Let's see. I I recognized Janine Garofalo, and I knew Monty Python. I know, I know of absolutely fabulous, but I didn't make the connection from the clue to that response. Mm-hmm. I did not recognize the picture of the guy who had played an inept dentist and a very old man on the Carol Burnett show. That was Tim Conway. Tim Conway. Yes, and I knew of. I mean, this is like kind of an iconic thing, but I haven't actually seen the sketch. Um, him as blind African-American white supremacist Clayton Bigsby. I was like, oh, I definitely have heard of that. Who is it? It's Dave Chappelle. I was like, is it, mm-hmm. is it, is it, is it a Key and Peele sketch? It feels like it could be a Key and Peele sketch, which like I think is a defensible guess. Sure. Yeah. But, based on some of the stuff they've done. But yeah. Yeah. No, it is uh, much in the news of late. Dave Chappelle. Mm hmm. Yes, indeed. Data Double number two is in the historical fiction, that category at the $1,600 level. It's pick number four. Mac finds it. He's at $7,200. Amy's ahead at $10,800. And Heidi's back at $400. Uh, and he wagers $3,600 and gets the clue. Published in 1859, this novel takes place in Paris and London during the French Revolution. And he figures that out with what is a tale of two cities. I read A Tale of Two Cities earlier this year. It was pretty good. Hmm. Daily Double number three is in the Your Destination Awaits category, also at the $1,600 level. Amy finds this one um, at the 19th pick. She's at 20000 to max 11600 Heidi has dropped back into the red and is at negative 800 Amy wagers 5000 and gets the clue... You down with VDG? I'd like to see Vasco da Gama Bridge, Vasco da Gama Tower, and Vasco da Gama's tomb in this world capital. And she correctly identifies Lisbon. Brings her up to 25,000. And she continues that trajectory. The other two, I don't think, get another correct response in the round after that. Uh, So going into final Jeopardy, Heidi doesn't get to play. She is at negative 800. Mac is at 11,600, and Amy gets up to 35,400. 
Then we have the final Jeopardy category, 20th Century Presidents, and the clue he won an election in which both he and his Democratic opponent were from Ohio and both were wealthy newspaper publishers. They both got it correct. Mac wrote who is Harding, as in Warren G., and he wagered eleven five ninety nine because, like, why not? <laughs> and Amy also got it correct with who is Harding and wagered 10000 So she moves up to 45400 And over at the Jeopardy fan, Andy notes that Amy becomes the 10th player to win at least 125000 over their first four victories on the show. And the only people who are at higher dollar totals at the point of winning four games were James Holtzauer and Roger Craig. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she's winning big. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. So on Tuesday, we have the contestants Matt King, an attorney from Louisville, Texas, Genesis Whitlock, a diversity and inclusion professional from Brooklyn, New York, and Amy Schneider, an engineering manager from Oakland, California, whose four-day cash winnings total $155,600. And we have the Jeopardy round categories Call the Football Play, Blue, 38, Left Motion, Omaha, and Hut Hut. Omaha! I am I am not putting any intonation on those, but I, I yeah. I have to, because I live in Denver. W- would you like to, would you like to? No, I just, just the Omaha, because yep. that was Peyton Manning's thing. Mm-hmm. Yep. Anyway. I felt for the miss and rebound at the $1,000 level of blue. There was a picture there, and the clue was coral reefs are home to the bluefish, known by this four-letter name. And Genesis rang in and said, what is a dory? And that was incorrect. Amy got the rebound with a tang. And I felt for Genesis because Dory is a tang. Dory of Finding Nemo and then Finding Dory. And that was also four letters. Yes. Arguably, I'm not entirely sure that Dory couldn't be a correct response. Although... Dory is is the four-letter name of Dory the Blue Tang. Yes, but does Dory the Blue Tang live in a coral reef? And is Dory the Blue Tang a real fish and thus lives actually lives? That's true. Dory the Blue Tang does not live. And I think at the end of Finding Dory, maybe Dory lives in an aquarium. But I'm not sure. I can't remember. Which is apropos, right, actually. This, this is, this, <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> I was going to say, this is now a, uh, a, a an investigative podcast to figure out where does Dory live mm-hmm. and is Dory real? Yeah. And is any of this real? Dory lives in the hearts of all of us who love her. <laughs> is any of this real? <laughs> Getting really existentialist here. <laughs> Our first daily double is in the blue category, but up at the $600 level. Genesis locates it. She's at 1400 Amy's at 5200 Matt's at 3000 and she wagers 1000 And gets a clue. The Belgian artist known as Peyo created these blue beings. And she takes a moment, but she gets it correct with what are the Smurfs. So that moves her up a little bit. And at the end of the Jeopardy round, Amy is in the lead at 7800 Genesis is at 2200 and Matt's at 1600 And we get the double Jeopardy categories, book, title, math... Broadway is back, business history, in a previous life, the body human, and testing your ESP with ESP in quotation marks. We ended up leaving four clues on the board in this game. Yes, we did. Which is strange. 
Because the other games didn't do that, and it's not just like one clue. It's like four clues. That's a lot of clues. Yeah, I had a an easier time with some of the higher value book title math clues, but mm-hmm. that may just be me. At the two thousand dollar level, we were asked to multiply Herer's Himalayan hiatus times Hawthorne's house parts. That's forty nine because it's seven years in Tibet and the house of seven gables somehow i could not bring to mind the jules verne sea distance in time for the 400 oh (laughs) and actually the contestants had a hard time with that too uh the clue there was joseph heller hal plus jules verne sea distance and genesis rang in and then couldn't pull a response in time and then matt rang in and tried what is 2045, which I think he must have misremembered both numbers. And then Amy got it with 20,022, catch 22, and 20,000 leagues under the sea. Right. Daily Double number two is in the business history category at the $1,200 level, and Amy finds it at the 10th pick. She has 12,200 to Genesis's 5,000 and Matt's negative 1,600. Matt just really struggled yeah this round trying to get himself out of the hole but going further and further into it mm-hmm. anyway amy wagers four thousand and her clue is this pair's first computer venture trafodata for the washington roads department helped them launch a bigger company soon after and she gets it right with who are bill gates and paul allen she has a background in computer stuff <laughs> Yeah, you know, computer stuff. The computer box. What was this, 1992? Yeah. Computer stuff. Uh, (laughs) You have to have have a very specific internet reference in mind to make any sense for me to be like, the computer box. I don't know. That's like like a very, very deep pull, strong bad, I think. (laughs) Nice. Anyway, so she... I, that that helped her out. Although also those are names to know, even if you don't work in the field. Right. And daily double number three is in the book title math category at the eight hundred dollar level, and Amy finds this one as well. Pick number twenty four. She's at twenty four thousand six hundred. Genesis is at seven thousand, and Matt is at negative six thousand. And she wagers two thousand and gets the clue. 1956's Dalmatians minus 2003's People You Meet in Heaven. And she went with what is 94, thinking there were seven people you meet in heaven, but you meet five people in heaven. So it is 96. Mm-hmm. That's right. We joked around a little bit in, in my living room about, well, how do you know that she didn't think it was 99 Dalmatians? How do you know, <laughs> how do you know that it was the, the people you meet in heaven number that she, that she didn't know? That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. So at the end of the double Jeopardy round, Amy's in a lock position with 23,800. Genesis is at 6,600. Matt has worked himself down to negative 6,400, trying to get out of the red. So I just really felt for him. So he will not get to participate in Final Jeopardy, where the category is World Capitals. And the clue is an annual event called Winterlude includes skating on the Rideau Canal, a UNESCO World Heritage Site in this city. And Genesis has tried what is Paris. That's not correct. She wagered 5,000, dropping her down to 1,600. And Amy tried what is Amsterdam, has canals, 
but not the correct response. Uh, she's wagered 9,000, dropping her to 14,800. And they were looking for Ottawa, Canada. Yeah. Mm. So uh, ice skating and yeah, and some some French heritage, I think, were the things that maybe you were supposed to yeah. clue into here if you didn't know any of the nouns themselves. Right. Yeah, I've, n- I've never heard of Winterlude, but the fact that it's an English word and it's on a French named river, I was like... And, it, and it's up, it's, I gotta be up north, so yeah. I would guess Canada. Yeah. Uh, so Amy wins her fifth game in convincing fashion. And we go to Wednesday when we have the contestants Dan Brady, a retired market researcher from Edgewood, Kentucky, Madeline Hornsey, a teacher from Carrollton, Texas, and Amy Schneider, an engineering manager from Oakland, California, whose five day cash winnings now total $170,400. We have the Jeopardy round categories, presidential this and that, TV, rough crowd, R-U-F-F, periods of time, in that country, and Latin phrases. I thought the rough crowd category was very heartwarming. Yes, because it's all good boys. Yeah. Yes, indeed. We found out that the actress who played Sansa on Game of Thrones adopted the dog who played her character's direwolf lady, and then Madeline named the actress, who is Sophie Turner. There was a triple stumper on the $1,000 level, which asked about what breed was used when modern guide dogs were popularized by a school near Berlin. The guide dogs were trained to help blinded soldiers. Berlin was supposed to cue German shepherds. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it seemed too easy, though. Yeah. Because there are other German-named dogs. Mm-hmm. It's not like, oh, this is the only German dog I've ever heard of. That's true. Apparently, for a time, Brits called German shepherds Alsatians. Kind of. Hmm. That's the as a way to not call them German. That's, it's like, yeah, it's like it's like the the British equivalent of freedom fries. Right. Yeah. Although I guess German shepherds are actually German. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Daily double number one comes up as the ninth pick at the eight hundred dollar level of Latin phrases. Amy finds this one. She's just at four hundred. Madeline's at eighteen hundred, and Amy wagers a thousand and gets the clue. Caveat venditor, this phrase, is the flip side to caveat emptor. And she works it out. It's let the seller beware. The flip side of let the buyer beware. We had a, a brief mention of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Almost let, oh, it, yes, almost let it go by. You know, I never actually have watched Angel, and I know that that's a... Wow. I, I know that I should. You call yourself a fan. I know. Even I've watched an episode of Angel. Well, I've watched an episode. I've watched several episodes of Angel. I just haven't watched like the whole thing. I haven't. I haven't watched the entire series. Mm. Mm-hmm. I think I've watched mm-hmm. like half a season. Back when I was getting into Buffy, it was like there wasn't as much access to like streaming and downloadable stuff. And so, like, if you really wanted to like invest in something that was not on, you needed to figure out where you were going to like get your DVDs. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. But I may come back to it now that it's easier to access things. At the end of the Jeopardy round, Amy's at 7,600, Madeline's at 4,000, Dan is at 3,000. And we have the double Jeopardy categories. Let's go see the band. Things in literary titles. Named for a place. News. Weather. And shorts. That's S-H-O-R-T-Z. Like Will Shorts, the, the crossword guy. Right. 
I took issue with the $400 clue of named for a place. They showed a picture and says, mmm, I do love this type of pastry, and I don't even have to go to Europe to get one. And that's a Danish, which I guess is, I guess Danish is named for Denmark? Yeah. I'm, I don't, I don't know. It doesn't, the other, because the other things in the, in the category were like bikini, named for the bikini atoll. Mm-hmm. And a fez, named for the city fez. Right. Right, and Lyme disease named for the city Lyme. Yeah, it's like more named for a demonym. Yeah, right. And that's, that's the issue I had, because it's like, is it named for the place or is it named for what the people are called? Like, is it named for the descriptor of... I'm now like flashing back to my childhood when I referred to, I think, Hans Christian Andersen as Danish and somebody very condescendingly was like, Emily, it's, pr- it's pronounced Dutch. <laughs> <laughs> and i just wish i had a time machine just to like just to like well actually right into that interaction (laughs) oh that's so funny yeah it's really so good (laughs) oh man oh goodness that's very fun yeah nobody knew where lyme disease is what state lyme is in from which we get the name of Lyme disease. We might as well just make it all New England one state. They're all the same. <laughs> they are not. <laughs> oh, whoops. I forgot who I was talking to. Oh. <clears throat> I mean... Uh, no, yes, I totally agree. Yeah. I mean, they're small and they're close together. But also, like, Maine, I feel, is a very distinct culture from what you might be thinking of as, like, all basically the same kind of New Englandy. Whatever. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Daily Double Number Two is in the named for a place category at the thousand dollar level, uh, just below the Lyme disease question. Dan finds it. It's only the second pick of the round. Uh, he's at fourteen hundred. Amy's at six thousand. Madeline's at four thousand. And he can wager up to two thousand, but he only wagers one thousand. I would have just mm. bet more. But yeah. He gets a clue. In 1898, the Curies discovered this radioactive element and named it for Marie's country of birth. And he gets that correct with what is polonium. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's big nig bait here. Right. Because if you've forgotten your category and you just sort of Pavlov on Curie's discovered element, you might say radium. Or you might be like, I don't, rem- I don't know because I thought there was radium and curium, mm-hmm. which is a, a common mistake. Yep. And Daily Double number three is in the things in literary titles category at the $2,000 level. And Amy finds this one at the 12th pick. She's at 10400 at this point to Madeline's 7200 and Dan's 2800 she wagers 4000 and her clue is not an actual accolade it's received by the hero of an 1895 war tale after being hit on the head by a deserter and she correctly responds what is the red badge of courage so at the end of the double jeopardy round Amy is in another lock position at 26400 Madeline's at 6800 Dan's at 5200 and we get the final jeopardy category awards and honors And the clue, first awarded in 1731 to electricity pioneer Stephen Gray, the Copley Medal is awarded annually by this organization. Dan did not quite get it all out, but he was writing what is the Caldecott, and that is incorrect. 
and he wagered 2200 so he drops to 3000 Madeline wrote, what is the Royal Academy, which is a close but not quite. That is incorrect, so she loses 3800 And Amy got it correct with, what is the Royal Society? And she wagered 11000 and jumps up to 37400 Yep. I didn't work this one out. I was on the wrong side of the pond. Yeah, I figured it's like, oh, it's American or... It's American or British with the name Stephen Gray, right? Yeah. And that time period also. But 1731, it's like what American society would even be around then. Yeah. Or like organization. Yeah. You know what I think happened is Copley is a a name that comes up in Boston geography. Copley Place, Copley Square. And so I was like, oh, it must be, you know, some kind of early Massachusetts something. I was trying to work it out from there. So, Mm. wrong premise. On Thursday, we have the contestants Jed Trias, an architect from Rockford, Illinois, Nancy Edelman, a high school English teacher from Teaneck, New Jersey, and Amy Schneider, an engineering manager from Oakland, California, whose six-day cash winnings total 207800 And we have the Jeopardy round categories, A Matter of Trust, Oscar's Best Director, In the Room, the women, come and go, those two words are in quotation marks, and talking of Michelangelo. Those last... That's a poem. Yes. Do you know which poem? I forget. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock. J. Alfred Prufrock. Yes. Okay. I did, I did, it did pop into my head as T.S. Eliot. Yeah. In, In the room, the women come and go, talking of Michelangelo. So those last four categories are a Prufrock joke. <laughs> One of my favorite types of jokes. <laughs> they come up all over the place. Um, do I dare to eat a peach is also a, a proof rock reference whenever that comes up. Do you dare to eat a plum, though? Or all the plums? You know who would better not dare to eat the plums that are in the ice box? It's William Carlos Williams. Well, too late. He already did. Forgive him. <laughs> I'm going to have to get mad about Williams, William Carlos Williams again all day. <laughs> Um, you're welcome (laughs) i'll tell you what though you're never gonna forget that william carlos williams poem no you're right (laughs) it is stuck in my head now as much as i still don't retain poetry i retain that yep now you're welcome yes thank you why do i keep thinking that tom hanks directed saving private ryan has tom hanks directed stuff did he produce? I believe he has directed stuff, but he definitely didn't. No, that was Steven Spielberg. Yeah, no, I know. I well, now I know it was Steven Spielberg. But I'm, well, I'm, I guess it's in the clue, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah he did. He didn't. He didn't produce or direct or anything. He just was in it, which is not nothing. He directed at least one episode of Band of Brothers, which oh, okay, merges with Saving Private Ryan in my head. Okay, so now at least I have an explanation. Sure. Daily Double number one is in that Oscars Best Director category. It's at the $1,000 level. Pick number 14, Jed finds it. He's at 3600 ahead of Amy, who's at 3000 and Nancy's at minus 400 He wagers merely 1000 Gets clue, 2012, there are more letters in Life of Pi than in his name. And he guesses who is Boyle, but that's Ang Lee. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Amy has reasserted her position at 9200 
Jed is at 5,400, and Nancy is still in the red at negative 600. And we get the Double Jeopardy categories, Pilgrim's Progress. This song is about you. The State That... Dot, dot, dot. World History. Authors of Today. And Four Letter Before and After. Which all ended up being four letter combinations of acronyms that ended up being four letters. Mm-hmm. That was fun. That was, yeah. that was a different way to have to think about it. Yep. Yeah, I liked uh, the $1,600 level. Mikhail Barishnikov was its director and also a member of the soul-based singing group. That is ABTS, the ABT American Ballet Theater, and BTS, the K-pop group. You're a big BTS fan. You know, their stuff is catchy. Oh, yeah. Yes, it is catchy. Yeah. That, is, that is for sure. Yeah. I have some students who are way into K-pop. Yeah. I'm not way into K-pop, but I don't know. That's okay. Yeah. The $2,000 of world history. In July 1776, he set sail from England aboard the Resolution in search of a Northwest Passage. Uh, Amy guessed who is Hudson, but Nancy got it with who is Cook. It's Captain Cook. Mm-hmm. I talked about Captain Cook. You sure did. And we had a couple of my deep dive topics in Pilgrim's Progress. At the $1,200 level, we had Child Harold's Pilgrimage gives an example of this type of hero named for the poem's author. Of course, that is Lord Byron. So the correct response here is a Byronic hero, which Amy gets. And then at the $1,600 level, this town where St. Bernadette claimed to have had 18 visions of the Virgin Mary is a major pilgrimage site. That is Lord. Amy got that one as well. And I did deep dives on both of those figures. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Daily Double number two is in that world history category at the $1,200 level. And Amy finds it just at the second pick. She's at 10,000. Uh, Nancy's dropped down to negative 1,400, and Jed is at 5,400. Nancy wagers 4,000 and gets the clue. In 1893, he went to South Africa to do some legal work. He stayed for 21 years to work for Indian rights. And she knows that that is Gandhi. I know I get really worked up about specifying which Bach, but there was more than one important Gandhi. There was, yes. But also, like, I don't know, when you say, it's the same thing. Like, when you say Gandhi, like, the first person people are going to think of is Mohandas Gandhi. Yeah, there also is the, I mean, I think... Jeopardy contestants need to be able to overcome this, but there is the panic of when you have to decide what you're going to call him. Mohandas, I believe, is his given name, but he's also known as Mahatma Gandhi, which, if I understand correctly, is like kind of a like a title of respect. Yeah, it's an honorific. Yeah, but I think is specific enough to him that it would be acceptable. I would I would expect that if they were going to make you name which Gandhi, they would take either of those. They may be they may be hesitant to ask for specificity because there is I think some uncertainty about, you know, sort of what we're supposed to call him. Yeah. Anyway, uh Data Double number three is in the the state that category at the twelve hundred dollar level. Amy finds it and she is up to twenty thousand at this point. It's pick number eighteen. Uh, Nancy's at 1400 and Jed is at 7400 and she wagers 4000 And the clue is, has a postal abbreviation consisting of two vowels. And she takes her time to probably make sure she's not rushing through it and making a mistake, but she gets it with what is Iowa. Yep. 
So at the end of the Double Jeopardy round, Amy has a lock game with 34,000. Judd's in second place with 7,000. Nancy's at 1,400. And we have the final Jeopardy category, Famous Do's and Don'ts. And the clue, in 1964, Berkeley alum Jack Weinberg, age 24, told the San Francisco Chronicle reporter this now famous don't. The joking around in my living room was, um, this, of course, don't let the pigeon drive the bus. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Anyway, Nancy figures it out with, uh, what is don't trust anyone over 30? I think age 24 was a big pointer here. And she's wagered everything but a dollar, $13.99. So she goes up to $27.99. Jed has not come up with anything beyond don't. And he's wagered $2,800. Which can say something like, uh, that's what I say to my kids too, or something like that. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And Amy has the correct response. What is don't trust anyone over 30? I wonder how exact they needed this to be yeah really would it exclude an answer if if you said anybody or above 30 right right i mean because it is a, it is a particular quote so right. i think you'd have to get it right yeah but it does seem like there are a couple of words here that have sort of equally common variants i'm sort of glad they didn't have to make a judgment call about close enough right Anyway, so Amy's wagered 16000 That brings her up to $50,000 even for this game and makes her our champion going into Friday. And on Friday, we have the contestants Greta Pearl, a communications consultant from Overland Park, Kansas, Chris Reyes, a composer and lyricist from Burlington, North Carolina, and Amy Schneider, an engineering manager from Oakland, California, whose seven-day cash winnings total $257,800. And we get the Jeopardy round categories right from the get-go. Festivals, five letters, four vowels, story time, long-running TV shows, and car repair. That's an anagram of car manufacturers. Finally, a car category that I can do. (laughs) Did you get the $800 level? I did get the $800 level. Because they didn't. Yeah. Revolutionary brand launched in 1975. Low era end. If it was also mentioned that it quickly ceased being produced, that might have helped. Uh, that's the DeLorean. Mm-hmm. With the with the gullwing doors, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those very uh, efficient and useful gullwing doors. Yep. The people with the Teslas around here mostly have the kind with the gullwing doors. I think. Cool. Yeah. That's cool that you can't park next to other cars. <laughs> I, you know, I think that the Tesla, I mean, you know, I, the, <laughs> I don't want to say too many good things about Tesla here. Cause like, I'm, uh, I, I'm not, I'm not a big fan, but I do think the Tesla gullwings have some kind of, I don't know, like hinge mechanism or something. It seems like they open like pretty close to the body of the car. Yeah, they don't they don't flap out yeah. directly out. They kind of mm-hmm. go up. Yep. Like up and forward, yeah. Yeah. I'm just making a joke. Yeah. We happened to have seen the Madagascar exhibit at the Bronx Zoo on the day of this episode. And so my my 8-year-old shouted the, out the answer to the $800 clue of right from the gecko. The clue there was the giant day gecko seen here is native to this large African island. And that is Madagascar. So that was fun. 
I like when something comes on Jeopardy and, and I'm like, oh, I literally just learned that. This very day. Yes. Yeah. Or my eight-year-old literally just learned that. Mm-hmm. I had never heard of shrimp Louis salad, though. Oh. Yeah. Apparently they hadn't either. Yeah, they hadn't either. And the, the Ape King clue, Disney Ape King, did not help me much either. So, oh well. Mm. Daily Double number one comes up super early in the round. It's the second pick at the $1,000 level of story time, and Greta finds it. Since this is the second pick, Greta's the only one who has had a correct response so far. So she's at 200. Everybody else is at zero. She wagers 1,000 and gets the clue. Ludovico's technique is applied rather violently to make Alex nonviolent in this novel. And she correctly responds, what is a clockwork orange? Not a fan. So I haven't read the novel. I have seen the film and like, I see that it is a good film, but it is intended to evoke a visceral response and uh, yes. it is successful in that. It does that. Yeah, yes. it does that. Agreed. So it's more the visceral response than a an artistic assessment of A Clockwork Orange. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, I definitely get the uh, as Yeah. Well. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Amy's at 9,000. Greta is at 5,200. Chris will pick first. He's at 2,000. And we have the double Jeopardy categories. L'histoire française, the movies, U.S. rivers, you can quote me, museums, and inner knowledge, inner in quotation marks. Ken doesn't really go for the French like Alex did. No, (laughs) nobody does. But I I think that he speaks some or enough or he's getting coaching on French things he's going to have to read. Like he... He, he does, you know, he does a reasonable job with French uh, words and phrases when they come up. Sure. I've been appreciating that. Yeah. Yeah, he does, he does fine, you know. Nothing, yeah. Nothing, to, nothing compared to mine. <laughs> I guess you need to memorize the three rivers of Pittsburgh because I don't think I know them. But the $2,000 clue in U.S. rivers of Pittsburgh's three rivers, it's the one with the longest name. I actually guessed this. Because I know that the Monongahela is somewhere around there, and I know it has a long name, mm-hmm. but I was not aware that it was one of the three rivers. I guessed the Allegheny, which I would argue is a pretty long name also, but not as long as Monongahela. Not quite, as, not yeah. quite that long. Yep. What's the third one? It is the Ohio River. Okay, that's what I thought. <laughs> Glad nobody said that one. Yeah. There is so much to know about john edwards other than sinners in the hands of an angry god but as far as jeopardy is concerned it's really just the one thing yeah that was in the inner knowledge category at the 1200 dollars level the clue was these were in the hands of an angry god in a 1741 sermon and chris got that one with sinners i mean you know it was it was a category where every correct response contained inner somewhere Mm. within the word or phrase so it's fine yeah Daily Double number two is in that uh, history French category. I'm not going to... L'histoire française. <laughs> it's only pick number two, so it's early... Française. Française. Okay, I, I realize there is a clear answer to this, so don't actually tell me the answer. I don't want it answered. But how are you supposed to know when the S is pronounced or not? The E on the end. All right, don't... I told you not to answer. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I I can't resist answering. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like you're into trivia or something. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's at the $1,600 level of that category. Chris finds it. Uh, he had gotten the first pick in the round. 
And at this point, the scores are the same as they were at the end of the Jeopardy round, except he has 2,000 more. And he bets it all, which is 4,000. He gets a clue. He became king of the Franks in 768, the Lombards in 774, and then in 800, he took the Roman crown. And Chris clearly has no clue. He guesses who is Henry IV, which is off by 600 years. I don't know. Uh, and also not... Yeah, it's Charlemagne. Yes. Quite possibly the most influential single person in European history. Mm. Hmm. Not going to get into it super much, but if you look at the way that the empire was split up between his sons after he died, mm. it is like clear, like, that's what I'm looking for. Not influence, but it, it, it makes it pretty clear if you look at that, like, why all of the conflicts in Europe have happened throughout centuries. But I'm not going to get into it. But it's very interesting if you do get into it. Yeah. I hadn't thought about it that way. And Daily Double number three is at the $2,000 level of You Can Quote Me, as Greta finds it at the 11th pick. She has 5,600 at this point. Amy's at 15,400 with no Daily Doubles. Nice work, Amy. Yeah. And Chris is at 1,600. Greta makes it a true Daily Double, as well she should, and gets the clue. Ben Franklin's advice to a young tradesman begins, remember that this three-word phrase, TikTok. And she guesses early to bed, which is a famous Benjamin Franklin phrase, although it doesn't quite, quite fit, fit quote. here. Yeah. yeah. And what they were looking for here is time is money. Remember that time is money. So she drops down to zero and has to start building again. Yep. You know, she does an okay job of it, but by the end of the round, Amy is comfortably in a lock position at 23,400. Chris is at 4,000 and Greta has gotten back up to 3,200. We have the final Jeopardy category, fictional languages, and the clue, Lapine, is the name of the language created for this 1972 book, Beloved by Children. Mm. Uh, <laughs> they all got it correct. Greta wrote what is Watership Down and bet everything. She goes up to 6,400. Chris wrote what is Watership Down and wagered 2,400. Why not 2401? I don't know. Yeah. But they ended up tying, which means that Chris gets the second place prize and Greta gets the third place prize because Chris was ahead going in to Final Jeopardy. And Amy also got it correct with what is Watership Down and she wagered 14,000, which is still not cover not not risking her lock. So she goes up to 37,400 with an 8-day total of $295,200. 8-day champion and she is number 10 all-time in winnings, I believe. Very, very impressive. Incredible. Yeah. I want to quibble with that that one. Beloved by children. Like, which children specifically? I do not think that Watership Down has earned the phrase beloved by children. I would also agree. I can't. I read a lot of books, and I hang out with other people who also read a lot of books, and I cannot think of a single person I know who loves Watership Down or loved. It's... Yeah, I I don't think Beloved by Children pointed toward anything. Like, I don't think, I think if you took that out, I think they still would have figured it out. Yeah. Or still would have known. Like, uh, yeah, that was yeah. a strange... Maybe, maybe it's worth having a pointer that it is a children's book. I guess. But you could have just put from this children's book. Yep. Even though it's really, like, it's not a children's <laughs> It's perhaps a young adult, what we would call it now, I would think. Mm, yeah. At best. But whatever. All right. Well, there we go. Uh, Amy continues her run. We will see her on Monday. And just like with 
every like nearly every other champion this season who knows when this run will end right (laughs) yeah but that brings us to the end of the week and the break in the show where we remind you that we have a patreon it is patreon.com slash potent potables you can go there to support us financially if you feel the desire and have the means to do so that would help us out a bunch We've been mentioning lately we are we are attempting to get ourselves up to a point of breaking even and being able to pay an audio editor to do that job for us. So that would be really, really meaningful for us to reach that point to be able to do it sustainably. So anything that you can provide will go a long way toward that. And we thank everyone who already is a supporter uh, on Patreon. It means a lot. And if that's not an option for you, or if you'd rather direct your money towards something a little more important than a podcast about Jeopardy, we understand that too, and we encourage you to look to blacklivesmatter.com, communityjusticeexchange.org, and the Stop AAPI Hate GoFundMe list. Among others, we, we, we actually haven't added much, we haven't added anything to that list. There probably are more we could look into too, but for now, those are good places to start. So Emily. Yes, Kyle. Have ye deep dive guesses? I do have deep dive guesses. Are we talking about the mitral valve or the heart in general? We are not. I do not have one. I do not care to know about it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Are we talking about Charlemagne? We are not talking about Charlemagne. Probably only because I picked my topic before Friday's game. Okay. And I was like, oh, oh, that would be a good one. All right. Well, well, that that knocks DeLorean off my list also. What about Father Flanagan? Ah, man, how do you do this? Yay! I thought for sure you'd go for Winterlude because it was a final Jeopardy. It, it was. I couldn't quite picture how that deep dive would work. So I ruled it out. It wouldn't because that was my first pick and I looked into it and I was like, oh, it's, I mean, it would be like three minutes of me like this is what it is. And mm-hmm. I could go tangentially off of stuff, but uh, yeah. So I looked into Winterlude and I was like, meh, it's not. It's cool. It looks really cool, but there's not a lot to like dive into on it. Yeah. So yeah, we're talking about Father Flanagan and Boys Town. Awesome. So this is from the Tuesday game in the Omaha category at the $1,000 level. In 1917, this priest rented a boarding house in Omaha to care for five neglected boys. Later, he bought a farm and it became Boys Town, and that is Father Flanagan. Uh, so I'm going to talk a little bit about him he, he kind of his his life was kind of straightforward um and then i'll talk about boys town as well because uh, it's kind of an important institution so edward joseph flanagan was born on the 13th of july 1886 and died on may 15th 1948 he was an irish-born priest in the catholic church and he served for many decades in nebraska he was a parish priest of the diocese of omaha and he founded the orphanage and educational complex known as Boys Town, which is uh, west of Omaha in what is now officially Boys Town. So like I mentioned, he was uh, Irish. He was born in the townland of Liebig in County Roscommon, which is uh, near County Galway. His father, John, was a herdsman, and his mother was named Honoria. In 1904, he immigrated to the United States with his n- sister, Nellie, and uh, he attended Mount St. Mary's University in Emmitsburg, Maryland. Uh, and he got his Bachelor of Arts degree in 1906. Then he went to St. Joseph's Seminary in Dunwoody, New York. He had to take a year off to recover because he contracted double pneumonia. And he stayed with his brother, Father Patrick Flanagan, in Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, and that kind of like started his 
time there. However, he did leave to continue his studies in Rome and then returned to Omaha in 1908, where he took an accounting job before uh, getting ordained in Austria in 1912. So he, he went back to Europe a couple of times. Uh, after being ordained, finally, in 1912, he returned to the U.S., where he worked in O'Neill, Nebraska, and then transferred to St. Patrick's Church in Omaha. And he was present during something that I briefly mentioned in another deep dive, the tornado outbreak sequence of March 1913, where he helped respond to, uh, like, he was, a, he was a first responder. In 1916, he established a homeless shelter for transient workers, and then he became a U.S. citizen in 1919. So he's best known for Boys Town and working with children. And so in 1917, he founded a home for homeless boys in Omaha. But those, uh, those facilities in the city were inadequate. And so he bought a farm out west and established Boys Town. This is 10 miles west in 1921. Uh, under his direction, it grew into a large community with its own boy mayor, schools, chapel, post office, cottages gymnasium, and other facilities. And boys between the ages of 10 and 16 could receive an education there and learn a trade. Flanagan notably did not believe in the reform school model, which is where most of these boys would have gone, which he thought was too punitive. And he is quoted as saying, there's no such thing as a bad boy, which is nice to hear. His work was uh, made popular, I guess. It, it was spread to the masses after the 1938 film Boys Town. It was produced by MGM, and it's about Father Flanagan and Boys Town, uh, starring Spencer Tracy as Flanagan and Mickey Rooney as one of the boys. They came to Flanagan first. He was allowed to review the script before filming, and they actually filmed some of it at the complex. Uh, Spencer Tracy won the Academy Award for Best Actor for it. And after that, Spencer Tracy and the, the studio dedicated a statuette to Flanagan in Boys Town. He served on several committees and boards dealing with the welfare of children, uh, not only at Boys Town, but in the, the U.S. He published a lot of articles on child welfare, and he was internationally known by the 1940s. And in 46, he traveled to the Republic of Ireland, where he was taken aback, really, really aghast by the conditions of children's institutions there. He published his, his observations after returning to Omaha, and the Irish media, as well as the Irish leadership, the legislature which is a name I can't pronounce, Oriachtas, or, or, or uh, whatever it is. If someone knows how to pronounce the, the Irish legislature, please let me know how to pronounce it. They, uh, they did not like that, so they like attacked him in print. General MacArthur, who was leading the Allied occupation of Japan, also invited Father Flanagan to Japan and Korea in 1947 to advise on child welfare, to look at the conditions that were being provided for children in those occupied territories as well as being invited to review the conditions for occupied territories in Austria and Germany, where Flanagan traveled in 1948. And while in Germany, Flanagan died of a heart attack on May 15th. His body was returned to the United States, and he is interred at the Dowd Memorial Chapel of the Immaculate Conception Parish in Boystown, Nebraska. In February of 2012, the Archdiocese of Omaha opened the canonization process for Flanagan. And in March of 2012, he was given the title Servant of God. So this is the first of three titles bestowed in the process of canonization as a Catholic saint, if it is approved. And the local investigation was completed in June 2015, including documentation of miracles, and the results were forwarded to the Vatican. 
so far, we are waiting for that process to continue, if it will. Mm. Flanagan received many awards for his work with delinquent and homeless boys. Pope Pius XI named him in 1937 a domestic prelate with the title Right Reverend Monsignor. And he had a postage stamp in 1986. And he is also a member of the Nebraska Hall of Fame. So that's Father Flanagan. Like, uh, like I said, like his life was really devoted to the work, right? And so the work is kind of his life, and that's not to say he didn't live an interesting life, but it's all very, very centered around that. So Boys Town itself is a nonprofit organization dedicated to caring for children and families, based in Boys Town, Nebraska. Of course, founded by Father Flanagan. It is a 501c3 nonprofit. Originally, it was known as the City of Little Men, which is hmm. funny. <laughs> From 1921 to 1948, Father Flanagan was in charge of it, and he developed it. He bought the Overlook Farm and turned it into uh, Boys Town. By the 1930s, hundreds of boys lived at the village, which, like I mentioned, had grown to include a school and dormitories and other buildings, and they elected their own government, council, mayor, commissioners, and everything. And in 1936, it was designated as an official village in the state of Nebraska. I talked about the movie in 1938. And so after Flanagan's death in 1948, the new Archbishop of Omaha named Monsignor Nicholas H. Wenger as Boys Town's second executive director. So it is overseen by the diocese. And in the 1960s, it looks like the home's population peaked at 880 people. So uh, Wagner was in charge from 1948 to 1972. And in the 1960s, of course, we have the Vietnam War, the civil rights movements, uh, assassination of key leaders, and just like the general youth movement and everything, which during that time, Boys Town kind of figured out that they didn't quite have the resources to continue to be able to help all of the youth that needed help, all the at-risk children. So they began looking at ways to kind of like diversify and expand. In 1973, they contracted and consulted with a firm Booz Allen and Hamilton to assess their future. There was a multi-volume study that was done. And so they recommended that Boys Town expand their programs and services into new areas. And the they kind of identified that uh, because of societal changes, providing group care for boys in dormitory settings was ineffective and to try and find a more individualized way to care for children. And so that kind of shifted their approach. And moving forward, they began implementing family home programs, which a number of, I don't want to say treatment facilities, but like nonprofit organizations who, who especially work with youth have adopted and continue to do. And so what that allows is they bring in a number of, like they'll still bring boys into the community, but they're not like all housed in the same dormitory. It's more like they have small homes for small groups of boys who live together and kind of build their relationships there with leadership and staff and everything, kind of helping them learn how to live in a home with other people, right? Because a lot of times the boys coming in have a criminal background or come from abusive homes, and so they don't know how to live in a functional home. Mm -hmm. And so they that's kind of the, the approach. In 1978, they also began accepting girls into the residential program. Obviously, the boys and girls did not live in the same houses. By 1985, 26 girls were citizens of Boys Town, and since, ever since then, boys and girls have been part of it together. In 1985, Boys Town was designated as a National Historic Landmark District, and it is listed on the National Register of Historic Places. They continued to expand, and they established Boys Town affiliates all across the country, including Orlando and West Palm Beach, San Antonio, New Orleans, Las Vegas, Brooklyn, Newark, 
Portsmouth, Rhode Island, Washington, D.C., Atlanta, Philadelphia, and Chicago. And so basically that's kind of the trajectory that they went on up to today, continuing to expand where they work and also how they work. Um, they also implemented a program of going into homes. Uh, more recently in the last like 20 years, uh, a lot of research has shown that like, yes, it's good to take some kids out of their home and put them in a different place. That is the best option for them because their home is unsafe or like whatever. But for a lot of troubled youth, keeping them at home with their family is actually the best way to help them learn how to function because you can also go in and help the family learn how to function with that child. And so they'll send people out to homes to work with families, which I know is not a lot of that is not very like specific, but that's just kind of what Boys Town does. There was one abuse case in 2015. A former supervisor at a Boys Town group treatment home was convicted of having sex with a minor aged 17. The offender was a 32-year-old woman and sentenced to five years probation. But from what I can find, that is the only instance of inappropriate behavior, or at least criminally inappropriate behavior, which I think, I mean, one is too many, but that's also for the length of time and the kind of work they do. Pretty good job. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so there we go. That's Boys Town. And that's Father Flanagan. So if you've never heard of it, that's what it is. I, in fact, had not heard of it. So I'm, I'm glad that you, <laughs> glad you filled me in. Thank you. Yeah, you're very welcome. So are you ready for a quiz? Of course I'm ready for a quiz. So this quiz is just kind of based on things I talked about <laughs> in, in the deep dive or connected to things I talked about in the deep dive. Okay. So mostly, mostly having to do with Boys Town, but a couple Father Flanagan. All right. So here we go. Question one. Much of interest to tourists like my mom, the Boys Town Visitor Center is home to the world's largest ball of what? Normally, collectors of these items like to keep them in albums or display cases. Weighing in at 600 pounds and 32 inches in diameter, the USPS won't even give me an estimate on how much I would have to pay to mail it to you. I think that this must be the world's largest ball of stamps. It is the world's largest ball of stamps. I didn't want to include the word philately because you've already done that in a deep dive and that would be giving it away. But yes, nice job. Thank you. Yeah. So listen to those stats again. Weighing in at 600 pounds, 32 inches in diameter. That's only like two and a half feet wide. And it's 600 pounds of stamp. That That's wild. That's unbelievable to me. Yeah. Apparently the USPS won't give you an estimate on anything over 70 pounds. So mm. I did look up how much, I did try to look up how much it would cost to ship that to you from Boys Town. I just spent my entire Thanksgiving holiday being made fun of by my baby sister for having too much John Green Project merch. <laughs> so now I'm going to embarrass myself by mentioning that there's a mention of the world's largest ball of stamps in his recent book, The Anthropocene Reviewed, which collects. Well, there you go. His, uh, his essays from the same podcast. There you go. Wow. Well, I'm glad that could help, you know? Yeah. All right, you're at 20 points with one Yay. correct answer. Question two. General Douglas MacArthur invited Father Flanagan to various places throughout the world to give advice on providing for children in occupied territories. MacArthur was a career general overseeing Reconstruction in post-World War II Japan and leading the Republic of Korea until 1948. The Korean War led to increased disagreement between MacArthur and which president? That president reached the lowest approval rating of any Gallup poll at 22% after relieving MacArthur of duty. All right, let's see. It would be during the Korean War. I think, let's see, it was Truman, Eisenhower, Kennedy. Kennedy, I think, is too late, but maybe not. 
But I think yes. Uh, I'm going to go with Eisenhower. It is Truman. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, I'd say it was 51, so it was toward the later yeah. part of Truman's presidency. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they just didn't get along at all. And so MacArthur was leading the military in the in the Korean War. And after there was like a bunch of back and forth, the United States forces retook Seoul and pushed the North Koreans and the Chinese back to the 38th parallel. And there were some like secret messages that were intercepted from MacArthur to like a couple of European consulates in Tokyo, basically saying like, don't worry, I'm going to make sure that we end up going to all out war with China. And that will ensure that like the communists don't gain a bigger foothold and China doesn't get too much power and blah, 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 blah. Mm. Truman found out about it and basically started to like figure out a way to take him to remove him from command. However, MacArthur was apparently really popular at home. And when he relieved him of duty, that was a, a big, big political blow. And so Truman has had the lowest approval rating of any Gallup poll of any president hmm. in history. Anyway, I just thought that was an interesting story. Yeah, that is that is interesting. All right. Question three. The movie Boys Town starred Spencer Tracy as Father Flanagan. His performance in Boys Town and Captain Courageous earned him what notable feat shared only by Tom Hanks with Philadelphia and Forrest Gump? Philadelphia and Forrest Gump. Did he get two oscars in the same year i mean not the same year the same uh, uh, yeah if it's if it's not the same year no in consecutive years yes yeah there we go you're correct yes consecutive best actor there we go academy awards yes i will take it i will take it all right um I, yes it would be fair if you turned me down like i was like i i was legitimately thinking like was it he got like a lead actor for one movie and a supporting although i should have known that tom hanks was the lead actor in, in both the films you mentioned so that would no I'll, I'll take it because it's a very yeah. it's kind of a a niche like a very specific wording no i, I think I, i'll give it to you Yes, they are the only two to get consecutive Best Actor Academy Awards. All right, so you're at 30 points, and we're at question four. Boys Town is a National Historic Landmark district. There are only 37 listings on the U.S. National Register of Historic Places that are not actually on U.S. soil. 26 of them are in the Federated States of Micronesia, four are in the Marshall Islands, and six are in Palau. That leaves one other place, the Tangier American Legation, in what country, which was the first to officially recognize the United States as an independent nation? Odrat. Tangier. I feel like we touched on this in the Barbary Pirates dive because knowledge is connected <laughs> and i am worried that i'm gonna put tangier in the wrong north african country but i think it's morocco it is morocco yay that is correct yes uh I, I feel like we've talked about that particular fact before yeah maybe i included that in the barbary pirates quiz or something uh but yeah the king of morocco is the first head of state to recognize the united states in 1777 as an independent Cool. So you're at 40 points? 40 points. Yeah. yeah. And question five. If the residents of Boys Town were to take a trip to Lincoln and then return home, they would make true the title of a song from the 1976 album Jailbreak by what group? Their name is a variation on a nickname for an early model American car. I don't think I know it. 
Do you know what song I'm asking? I feel like I know, like when you say the title, I'll be like, yes, I've heard that title. Mm-hmm. It's like something to Omaha. Is that right? Or mm. no, maybe not. No. No. Okay. No, if the boys were returning to their home, then the boys would be back in town. Oh, I don't remember what group sings that. Um... <laughs> My brain keeps helpfully offering DeLorean. <laughs> um, I'll give you that. It's not DeLorean. <laughs> and you said the band is named after an early car. Is that right? So it's it's kind of like a, a play on a nickname for an early American car. Oy, okay, I don't think I know it. I'm just going to say Model T and take my zero. You know, it's, it's on the right track. They're called Thin Lizzy. And the Model T was known as the Tin Lizzie. Oh, okay. I would never have gotten there. Okay. <laughs> I've, I, fi- I put that as question five because I figured that would be the one that would be like, eh, maybe not. But you have 40 points. Yeah. Going into the final. It's not bad. And the final is famous quotations. All right. I know some famous quotations. I'll wager 35. Okay. Boys Town works to support children and families. In that spirit, they hold a certain famous quote about charity and altruism as a guiding message. This quote is attributed to a resident of Boys Town in 1918, who would carry another boy up and down the stairs every day due to the boy suffering from polio. When Father Flanagan asked him if the boy was heavy, the lad responded, He ain't heavy, Father. He's what? Ooh. Huh. I don't know if I know it. Trying to come up with even a... Reasonable guess. I feel like if I can come up with a reasonable guess, it might just be the answer. And my very helpful brain is like stiff as a board, light as a feather. <laughs> it's like the DeLorean. <laughs> Stop it. Like Sometimes it's a very cooperative brain and other times not at all. Yeah. Yeah, I don't have it. But I'm not really coming up with a good guess. Yeah. All right. Okay, I give up. I don't think I'm going to get it. Uh, he ain't heavy, father. He's my brother. Oh, Okay. Well, that's nice. It is nice. Unfortunately, it means you lose 35 points. But yeah. yes, it is nice and it's it's kind of like one of their guiding principles. Yeah. Nice. I feel like I feel like maybe I've heard that at some point. That's I'm pretty sure that quote is in the movie. Um, mm, so yeah. I've heard that quote my whole life because my mom is a was a film major in college. Mhm. Uh, so, yeah, perhaps perhaps my knowledge is not as generalized as I thought it was, which I yeah. guess is the curse of every trivia person. Wow. I'm googling it now, and it's it's it does seem to be a quote that people know. Also, a song. Yes, by the Hollies, but I didn't ask about that. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> no, we're it's continuing a... the trend of having some having some rough quizzes. Yeah, no, a, a hard quiz is good. Hey, look, I got I, I I got up to forty before I lost most of it. So your Coriat score is forty or whatever. Yeah. yeah, there we go. Well, no, I think my Coriat score is 30, right? Um, well, whatever. Well, you, you got the first question right, which is what is the deep dive about? Yep, that's right. Anyway, this was this was great fun, although I did blow that last question. So thanks, Kyle, and thank you listeners for spending your time with us. Uh, make sure to subscribe where you get your podcasts. Leave a rating or review if you would. If you want to check out our Patreon, it's patreon.com slash potentpotables. And if you have friends who are into Jeopardy, let them know about our podcast. You can all find us on Facebook at Potent Potables, on Twitter at Potent Potables 1. Our email address is potentpotablescast at gmail.com, and our website is potentpod.com. And we will be back next week 
with another week of Jeopardy and a deep dive in quiz. And until then, may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker.